Hey there, Word of Grace. Thank you so much for joining us for church today. We know that this coming Monday is going to be Memorial Day, and we want to take a moment before we get into the message just to pray for families that have been affected by the loss of loved ones who have served in protecting our nation's freedom. And we also, in light of eternity, want to also be mindful that there are people on the other side of conflict. And Scripture explicitly tells us to pray for our enemies, those who despitefully use you. And we want to pray for families who have lost loved ones on both sides of conflict. And we want to pray for the salvation of those who may be intertwined in the affairs of war and those who may be dealing with fear and anxieties that, you know, those of us who have not served in the military may not know anything about. And we also want to pray for those who are grieving today, those who are visiting gravesides, those who are thinking about a mother or father or a grandfather or brother or sister or a son or a daughter that was lost. So would you just take a moment with me before we get into the scripture and let's just give pause and let's pray for them today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to freely worship you. And no matter where someone may be joining us, uh, around the world, we know that no nation is exempt from having to deal with the challenges of war and with conflict. And we know that there are people who have given their lives for causes and for countries and for rights of people. And we pray, Lord, that those who may be grieving today, that you would just comfort them, that you would comfort families, that you would, um, Lord, comfort them by your Holy Spirit and point them to the ultimate hope. And that is the hope of Jesus Christ. And we pray that they would find comfort and uh, just complete uh, life transformation in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we just pray that you would watch over those who may be um, grieving, those who may still be entangled in conflict, and those who may actively be serving as well. And we thank you so much, God, for uh, just you giving your gospel message um, spread all over the world to people. And we pray that their hearts would be softened to receive it, their eyes would be open, and that eternity would be impacted forever, that families would be comforted as we remember those who have fallen. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue in our series on end times anxiety. And I grew up in church, as many of you know, and I was scared to death of teaching on the subject of end times events. So to help calm my fears, one of the things that my mom did was she would show us these cheesy Christian movies about the end times events. And these were often really bad acting, really horrible plot lines. One that just comes to mind uh, is one where the bad guys had captured the Christians, and if you wouldn't receive a microchip in your hand, then they would cut your head off. They literally would line you up, and there was just a bunch of guillotines, and they would drop the guillotines on the people that wouldn't receive a microchip, because that was supposed to be the mark of the beast. I remember uh, that when I worked in grocery stores as a teenager, that if I had someone come through my line and their total for whatever they bought was $6.66, that they would have to buy something else because they were so scared of that number, they didn't want that number on their total. They thought it was bad luck. They thought it was the mark of the beast, something evil, and they were afraid of it. So they would buy something they didn't even want. They would buy like a pack of gum or they would buy you know, a candy bar just to offset the number so they didn't have to think about spending $6.66. People get so scared of these types of things, and the media doesn't help because now you're hearing news about people having this insertion of uh, RFID chips into their skin. You're hearing about tracking from the government. You're hearing about tracing, and it just causes a lot of fear. And then you have people who call themselves prophets beginning to attach current events to some of those things and saying, this is what the Bible's talking about here, and this is what this means, and it does nothing helpful except cause fear and panic. And so what I want to accomplish today is I want us to take a healthy look, a healthy look at Scripture so that we can see what the Bible actually says about these things and so that we can understand some of these things a little bit more clearly 
and understand the purpose of these things. And so we do not live in fear or we don't live in confusion. Because if you're getting your theology from Kirk Cameron and the Left Behind series, that's not really something that you should be deriving your doctrine from. Those things are entertaining. Those things have elements of truth in them. But they're not things that we need to go to and say, well, it happened this way in the movie. Or that book that I read, it, it, it happened this way. And I guess this is what this means and how it's all going to go. That's not necessarily true. There's a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of bad information. I, listen, I think there's a lot of bad information coming from well-meaning people. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that the church has to discern through in our day and age is bad information coming from well-meaning people who are just trying to help, who are just uh, trying to uh, encourage or warn or whatever the case may be. And it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. If your information is bad and it's still causing the fruit of fear, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Stuff doesn't come from God. What does come from God? Things that are going to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at that type of stuff. So let's dive into what the Bible actually says about microchips, scanners, and numbers. And before we open the Bible, I want us to remember this, that what God creates, Satan counterfeits. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. Remember last week when we opened up with the first eight verses in the book of Revelation, we saw the purpose of the book. We saw the intention of God, why he gave John those messages and why those things were circulated to the church of that day and also why they're still circulated to the church of our day. We need to understand that the purpose of the book of Revelation is to actually bring blessing to the hearers and keepers of it. Remember, he said there's a blessing that is attached to reading this book. There is blessing that's attached to those who keep it. So I don't know about you, but I don't consider being scared out of my mind and having knots in my stomach a very big blessing. I think that the blessing that comes from God is a hope in Christ that we have, and that's what this book should point us to, not something that should just cause us to worry and stay awake at night like I did as a kid. It, God doesn't want this to be a source of, of, of confusion. But the enemy loves to take what God intends and he loves to twist it and counterfeit. And often it's a slight twisting. It's never just a complete polar opposite because if it were polar opposite, we would be privy to it, right? It wouldn't be a trap. I, I'm, I always think about the old cartoons of, you know, Elmer Fudd chasing around Bugs Bunny, the obvious big, huge bear claw trap that he would try to pull, or Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. He would do some ridiculous big trap that you could obviously tell was a trap. If it's obvious to you, it's not a very good trap. The best types of traps are the ones that are well hidden, the ones that they sneak up on you, the ones that are kind of surprises. And that's the same way the enemy works. But the Bible says we shouldn't be ignorant of his devices. We should be aware. And so what Satan does is he takes a little bit about what God says, just a small portion to kind of get you to buy into it, and then he twists it. And he twists it in a way that it causes outcomes that are not God-honoring. So if the book of Revelation or end-time prophecies and things like that, if you are a believer, if you are a Christ follower, and it stirs in you anxiety and fear, can I submit to you, that perhaps that fruit and that message is not the intent of God because God is not in the business of pandering fear. God is not in the business of pandering confusion. God is not into conspiracy theories. Satan loves to get our eyes off of Jesus and use the book of Revelation or prophetic and apocalyptic messages as a tool of confusion, conspiracy, and fear. Be aware of that. Be discerning of that, especially in the day and age of social media where you can scroll through and anybody can have a podcast about anything, a blog about anything, anyone can post, share anything. Be mindful of these things because what God creates, Satan is going to counterfeit. The best counterfeits are the ones that look the closest to the real thing, but yet it doesn't make it real. It's still counterfeit. Another thing to remember is that there is a system in place, and we talked briefly about this system, and we're going to continue throughout the series to talk about this system. There is a system in place that is influenced and directed by what the Bible calls the spirit of Antichrist. It is a counterfeit of the actual Christ. 
It is, it, it is something that the spirit of Antichrist wants you to put all of your source of hope, all of your source of trust, all of your source of peace, all of your source of joy, all of your identity in it. But it is very much against Christ. Now, some things that the spirit of Antichrist is driving are obviously Antichrist. But if it's a counterfeit Christ, if it's a counterfeit hope, it's, if it's a counterfeit salvation, it's going to have close mirrorings of the real thing, but it's going to be a fake. And you need to remember, there is a system in place. There is a spirit at work in this world that is called the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is driving this system called Babylon, this system that the book of Revelation identifies as a Babylon system. And it is a pattern that has been repeated throughout human history. And it's been repeated since the fall of creation in the Garden of Eden. And the book of Revelation describes this system in detail. And the great part about the book of Revelation is that it also tells us how this system is ultimately going to come to an end, how this pattern is going to stop being repeated when Jesus Christ returns for his bride, the church. I understand bad things are happening in the world today, but I want to give you a little perspective here. And I want you to think with me, reason with me today. Yes, bad things are happening, but guess what? Bad things have always been happening. Have you ever read a history book? You ever read about wars and, and, and people and genocide? And you ever read about, this is nothing new. Have you ever read about diseases before? Um, yes, there's a ton of things. Have you ever read about markets collapsing and financial ruin before in large kingdoms? Yes, this is not new. The difference for you and me is that it's just now hitting us and we're experiencing it a little closer to home. When you read the history book, it seems like you're reading something that's so far removed from your experience that you're like, oh, it would have stunk to have, to have lived in that time. But then when it's at your front doorstep, you're going, oh no, that's the end times. Well, don't you think those people you read about in the history books that were actual people, by the way, not, you know, isn't reading like Peter Pan and Cinderella. These are actual people who lived. Wouldn't you think that when they faced difficulties and the Spanish flu or when they faced the bubonic plague or when they faced some sort of big outbreak or some sort of invading army or don't you think they would have thought, oh no, this is the worst thing. The end is near. Yeah, they would have. So this is something that has happened something that is happening, and guess what, folks? It's something that's going to happen again. This is the pattern of the system of Babylon. Bad things have always been happening in the world. Bad things are happening in the world, and bad things will continue to happen. It's just closer to home. Therefore, it becomes more real, especially to us who live in the United States. It's a little bit more close to home. That's a little bit more real. There are people who have lived in conflict their entire lives, there are people who think about uh, the, the Syrian refugees recently. Just a few years back, we were seeing pictures on, on the news and watching video footage of families being run out of their home by ISIS. And how awful was that? That was their reality. Those are real people. They're not just figures in a story. They're real people who were experiencing real suffering. And there were people there that actually knew Christ that were being persecuted even more. And that still are being persecuted. We need to remember that. There is a system in place that is demonically influenced, and what we see is a reflection of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Remember, it is a spiritual force. That's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, Paul says this, "...put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is he describing here? He is describing a spiritual realm, something that is different than what you and I experience in this physical realm. He's talking about something unseen, something spiritual. But what is happening in the spirit often spills over and is reflected in the natural. So if you see that there is tension, if you see that there is an escalation happening in our world, you can look and go, there is something happening in the spirit that the spirit of Antichrist is driving this thing, 
And it's trying to deceive people. It's trying to discourage people. It's trying to get people to trust in the spirit of Antichrist and get their eyes off of Jesus. And it is a spiritual force. And that's why Paul says we're not wrestling against physical flesh and blood. We want to give names to it, right? We want to find someone to blame. We want to blame countries. We want to blame world leaders. We want to point our fingers at a person. But the Bible says it's not a person that's driving these bad things. Yes, it may manifest in the sense of you may want to put a face or a country or a figure to it, but the truth is, is that the cycle, the pattern is influenced by the system, and it is a spiritual battle. That is why we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. That helps us to live in light of eternity and how to see things through the lens of Scripture. Go over to Revelation chapter 13, if you have your Bible today, or if you're following along on version, you can go and do that as well. And uh, Revelation chapter 13, we're going to read the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, and it's going to be confusing at first, but I promise I'm not going to leave you hanging. We're going to backtrack and go through it, but I want us to just read it first, okay? So we're going to read chapter 13, and then we're going to read all the way to verse 5 of chapter 14. So follow along with me. This is important that you see this, because this is where a lot of the conspiracy theorists, a lot of the fear pandering, a lot of the bad movies and bad uh, uh, stories that would get people to think that these types of things are going to happen this way, this is where it comes from, okay? It's from these two chapters. Revelation chapter 13 verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Stop there. This is John. He's seeing a vision, all right? And he's seeing imagery, and he's seeing symbolism, all right? So he said, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. It has ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. The first beast came from the sea, the second one came from the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Pay attention to that. Two horns like a lamb. And it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small, great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Chapter 14, verse 1. 
Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, the mountain of God, stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from, the mankind, from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. If you just thought you were reading Lord of the Rings, I promise you weren't. That is actually in Scripture, and it's not talking about a literal dragon or a literal beast. All of these things are images, and it's the same type of imagery that Daniel used in his prophecies, and a lot of Daniel's prophecies were fulfilled. And so as you look, and as a person who would have received this letter, remember John's original audience would have been Christians who were well-versed in Jewish history, who were well-versed in Jewish customs, who were well-versed in understanding the Old Testament. And they would have understood Daniel's prophecies and the prophecies of Daniel that had been fulfilled in, in their days. They would have understood the similarities of those images. And those things were taught and well understood. And so he's using familiar images to the people of that day. Because remember, Scripture cannot mean what it never meant. And we find out what it meant because the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was given to the writer to give to the original audience, and the Spirit is still inspiring those same words to still have the original intent to you and I today, because God's not changing the meaning of Scripture for you and I in our day. It means what it's always meant. So what did it mean to those original hearers? What is happening spiritually plays out naturally in history. And this gives us a good pulse of where we're at in this cycle of Babylon. Maybe even as we were reading that, maybe some of you were going, this sounds really familiar, or this sounds like the pattern or the cycle or the system of Babylon that you were describing last week in the message, or maybe even earlier in this message. And so maybe some things are beginning to click for you. You see, John's original hearers and readers of Revelation, this is what they would have interpreted. This is what they would have thought. They would have seen the beast as Rome. They would have thought this is a now prophecy. They are not thinking this is for 2,000 years in the future. They're looking at their immediate reality. They would have thought this is Rome. This is a superpower in the world that is very much driven by the spirit of Antichrist. They understood the beast was, represented, uh, was representative of a nation because they would have understood Daniel's prophetic writings earlier because he also used imagery of the beast and nations and horns representing nations. You see those horns had, had, had crowns, diadems on them that would have represented rulers of those nations. And you see they would have understood those prophetic writings from hundreds of years earlier. Now, when we first read this in chapter 13, the first beast was wounded. Do you remember that? You remember us reading? The first beast was wounded, but then he recovers miraculously from his wound. It's like you thought he was defeated. You thought, oh no, we, we, we won, yay! And then just as soon as you start celebrating, the beast miraculously recovers, and then what does it do? It begins to use its recovery as a tactic of intimidation to try to keep everyone else bowing at its feet and everyone, rich, poor, didn't matter what social class, you marveled at the beast. And if you didn't marvel at the beast, then you were persecuted, you were put to death. And you see where also it says that there was a statue that was made for the beast. And the statue, it was like this thing came alive. It was like this thing is, is, is so real. And if you don't bow to the statue then you're going to be put to death. So it's worship the beast who was wounded and recovered. Remember, what God creates, what God does, Satan counterfeits. This is driven by the spirit of Antichrist. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who did what? What did He do for our sins? He died on the cross. But did He stay dead? No, He didn't stay dead. What did He do? He rose from the grave. 
victorious. And because He rose from the grave victorious, and He's alive forevermore, He's seated on the right hand of the throne of God, we have confidence in serving Him. And then you see the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist come in, and it receives a mortal wound. And then what does it do? It counterfeits God. It wants to come back alive. You thought I was dead, you thought I was down, and now I've come back. And now I'm demanding your allegiance. Much like Christ commands our allegiance and we worship a risen Savior. You see how this thing plays out and how there is a counterfeit there. The wound on the head of the first beast would have most likely been seen, and from what we can see in historical writings of that day, that they would have understood that as a representative of Roman Emperor Nero Caesar's defeat. Because Nero Caesar was the one who started the gross persecution of the church of the book of Acts. And he started this persecution by uh, claiming that it was indeed the Christians who had burned down Rome. Because remember in your history books that Rome was set on fire and the whole thing burned down, it was destroyed. Well, Nero is actually the one who was behind it. He was crazy. He was demonically influenced, demonically possessed, and he was full of this spirit of Antichrist. But then he blames the Christians. So now everyone's hating the Christians and they're being persecuted, beheaded, beheaded chased. It's, it's, it's just horrible. But then he dies and there's a little bit of relief until Emperor Titus resumes the throne. Then Emperor Titus, he passes away suddenly. And then his brother Domitian is the one who takes over from there and resumes and then begins to even ramp up the persecution of the church. So they thought it was over, but now it's back. And what is he doing? He's demanding allegiance. And this is the same spirit that is repeated over and over again, where the church or, or Christ followers may experience a measure of victory, and they think, oh yes, and then something else happens where the spirit, it rises up again, and it demands allegiance or be persecuted. Just like the Babylonians. The Babylonians were defeated for a season, and then Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he rises to power even greater. And then what does he do? He builds a huge 80-foot statue and demands that you worship, or else be thrown in the lion's den or the fiery furnace. This is a pattern. This is a spiritual pattern that has played out, that is playing out, that's going to play out. Now, he says here something about 42 months. And 42 months is also used in Daniel as a symbolic picture of a brief time of God's people suffering. Now, some people view this 42 months or three and a half years as tribulation or a suffering period. And we don't know if this is a correct view of three and a half literal years. And you'll get to an arm wrestling match over somebody who really studies this stuff, whether it's three and a half literal years or whether it's figurative. I believe, and I think, and this is my opinion, you can take that for what it's worth, but I believe that those three and a half years of suffering most likely represents a second half sabbatical cycle that would be viewed by a Jewish person as incomplete. Because remember, this is all symbolic. And so it's difficult because we want to pick out some things and go, oh, well, that's symbolic, but this is literal. And we want to go, this is a literal three and a half years or a literal 42 months. I believe that it is a representation of an incomplete sabbatical cycle. So uh, the sabbatical cycle in Jewish understanding is a seven-year cycle. Seven years. Seven years representing what? What does the number seven represent in prophetic imagery? Wholeness, completeness, right? It, is a, it, it would have been perfection at seven. So cutting it off at three and a half years would mean that this is not going to go on forever. Just like Jesus, when he was talking to Peter about forgiving, he says, Lord, should I forgive him seven times? He says, no, I say 70 times seven. You know, he's telling them, they're, they're this, he's basically saying infinity here. And that's how Jewish people understood the number seven. And so when you see three and a half years, I believe personally that it's talking about there will be a tribulation and suffering period, but I don't think it's going to be a literal three and a half years. I think it's saying it's not going to go on forever. There's going to be a cycle of it. It's not going to be a full seven. It's going to be a three and a half. It's going to be a 42 months. It's going to be an incomplete cycle. So the Christians could take hope. If I was a uh, first century Christian reading this and I uh, understood the meanings of those numbers in prophetic use and prophetic language, I would have read that and I would have thought, oh, if he's attaching suffering to three and a half, it's not going to last forever. And I would have actually found hope in that. And so in the cycle of this spirit of Antichrist, in the cycle of this Babylonian system, what do we see all throughout history? We have the vantage point of looking in the rearview mirror. These people did not. 
These people were experiencing this in real time, a lot of them. And they're thinking, oh no, we're in the middle of this. And you and I can look back throughout ages. We can look back throughout church history. They didn't have church history. Church history was actively being written because these were all new things. And we have the vantage point of looking in the rearview mirror. And what do we see? We see suffering happen, don't we? We see persecution happening. But then what happens? Someone comes and liberates people or someone takes a stand and there's religious freedom. Even America itself, part of the reason that we uh, left England was to come and uh, be able to have religious liberties. And we celebrate that and we're grateful for that. That's nothing new. There have been countries before us that have looked to uh, escape persecution and celebrate religious freedoms and liberties, and there will be after us. There are groups and generations of people who have suffered for the cause of Christ and that are suffering, and then God's letting them know this is not going to be the way it's always going to be for the church because he's speaking to the church whole. He's speaking to the church universal. He's saying this is a pattern. This is part of the system. So whether it's three and a half years or whether my interpretation is, is, is right, um, of course, I like, to, uh, I like to think I'm right. So there you go. Uh, but also, the three and a half years would represent what? If it's a half sabbatical cycle, it would, re it would represent there's no rest, because that's what really sabbatical is, right? It's rest. It's, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to rest from this, and if it was, a, if it was there's going to be you know, seven years of this, they would have thought, oh no, this is, this is never going to end. There's going to be no rest. But the fact that he uses the numerical imagery of three and a half lets them know that it's not always going to continue. There will be a pattern of rest, persecution, rest, persecution, rest, persecution. And we see that play out in our day and age. Now, let's go back to the Bible. Let's look at Revelation 13. And let's uh, look again at uh, 5 through 10, where he says here that the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opens its mouth and utters blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven, and it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and every nation, all who dwell on the earth and worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So we see that this first beast came back and now persecution begins to happen as a result. And we also see how this is a counterfeit lamb to the real lamb, the spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ. What God creates, Satan counterfeits. Look at verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It says he's like a lamb, has two horns. He, he kind of looks like a lamb. There's something similar. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. There is another counterfeit here. And then you see through verse 12 and 18 that those who refuse to worship the emblem of the state, well, whether it's a statue, whether it's a person, whether it's some building or some, some, some uh, 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 creed that they follow, whatever the case may be, whether it's like the statue in Daniel 3 of Nebuchadnezzar, or whether it was being required to burn incense to the emperor in Rome, those who refuse to worship in that way, that figure, that beast, they were slain. And the mark of the beast is on two places, as we see in verse 16 through 18. We see that it says that they will be marked on the right hand and the forehead. That's where this mark of the beast is going to be. The mark of the beast. Listen to me. I want you to get this. I want us to get this because I believe this is going to set you free or it's going to make you really mad at me. One of the two. I hope it does the former. I hope it sets you free. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit mark of the lamb, Jesus Christ. It is a counterfeit mark of the lamb. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit mark of the lamb, Jesus Christ. This generation is afraid of the mark of the beast being a microchip, an RFID chip or something like that that's inserted into our bodies. We're afraid of that, and we think that's going to be the mark of the beast. The generation before us thought it was the introduction of social security numbers. They thought giving everyone a social security number was the mark of the beast. And there were people, when the government introduced that system, that refused to get a social security card because they did not want to take the mark of the beast. Generations before that thought it was the census 
They did not want to be tracked or for people to take their names in a census because they thought in giving their name they were giving their allegiance to the mark of the beast. Every generation has a different idea of what this is going to be. We just happen to live in a technologically advanced day and age to where we can associate this hand and forehead thing with technology. They could not have associated that, nor did they think that's what it meant because they would have had no concept of that. So what did they think that it means? Was it just meant to confuse generations for 2,000 years until microchips were invented? Is that why God put that in the scripture to confuse everybody? I think that's a very selfish, small view of interpreting scripture. Because in our lifetimes, we have seen the advancement of technology and the microchips that we have, man, 20, 30 years from now, people are going to make fun of the technology that we're using today that we think is so advanced. So why why would we be so arrogant to think that the, the, the microchip inserted into a hand that this is it. This is the thing that's been prophesied about for 2,000 years. God did not confuse those people 2,000 years ago when they originally heard it because it's not a stinking microchip. That's not what that means. That's not what they would have understood. And that's not what people for hundreds of years understood the hand and the forehead to be. Folks, it is a cycle It is a system. It has happened. It is happening, and it will happen again. And here's what I know to be true. I believe that Satan is keeping us distracted from what the true mark of the beast is because he's keeping us fear, uh, afraid and fixed on a microchip or some sort of scanner. I think we're going to miss the actual thing because we think we've got it figured out, and we think that's what it means. Technology has advanced so much and is advancing. I remember there was a, a show about uh, the end times that I watched as a kid and it sticks out in my mind. I remember this guy had a, had, a, had a microchip and it was probably about a four by four square and he held it up to the TV screen and this was in the 80s when I was a kid. He held it up to the screen and he said, you see this microchip right here? You see how small this is? And you and I would laugh. Small, really? Like a four by four microchip? He said, on this one sole microchip, is the entire New Testament. I remember as a kid going, oh my gosh, wow. That guy could fit the entire New Testament on a 4x4 microchip? We would go, what? A 4x4 microchip? I I can fit, you know, uh, an entire library on something smaller than that, let alone just the New Testament. But we marveled at that. So we're thinking that because we have technology nowadays that You can do this. We think this is what it is. And I believe we're missing out. And I believe the enemy is keeping us deceived and ignorant because we think we figured it out. The true mark of the beast to them, the original hearers, and to you and I today is the same mark of the beast and it has nothing to do with the microchip. The true mark of the beast is allegiance to the beast. That's what it is. It's allegiance to the beast. In Jewish culture, a mark on the hand or forehead was clearly understood, clearly understood by John's original audience as symbols of allegiance. That's all it means. It means I am, a, I am aligned. And you couldn't buy or sell without that mark, which means if you weren't aligned with the beast, and the people who were aligned with the beast, they weren't just scared, they were willingly aligning with the beast because they were putting their hope in what the beast could do for them. The beast was going to be their source of, of, of salvation. The beast was going to be their source of provision. The beast was going to be their source of security. It's all imagery and it's all a cycle and a system. Do you not see in our day and age and in every day and age before us how allegiance to the system of Antichrist to bring a sort of comfort and peace and security has been painted for us in military might, in the economic power of our uh, nation that we live in, in a figurehead who is leading our cause and championing our country? Can't you see how if we put our source and our hope in that, that we don't really even need God at that point in our own eyes? because we think we're taken care of. We think we're good. Oh, I'm good because I'm trusting in this. And what do we do? We just play along. We align. We pledge our allegiance. We just do what we do because we take the mark. And, and that's what he's talking about. And we do it willingly. And so he's saying that that's an, a marker, an identification 
with that system. But you and I who are Christ followers, look at what happens in chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had the name of his Father's name written on their foreheads. They've got a mark too. They're marked. They're marked on their foreheads. But what are they marked with? They're marked with their allegiance to, to Jesus Christ. That's where they're aligned. They're saying, I'm not going to have my forehead marked by the spirit of Antichrist or by the powers of this world. I'm going to have my allegiance and my mark is going to be aligning and, 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 and completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Those are those who were with him on Zion in this prophetic picture. A mark on the hand and forehead were clearly understood. Listen, Exodus 13 and 9 says this, Old Testament, Old Testament, Exodus 13 and 9, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord shall be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. That was understood by Old Testament people. Here you have Moses writing in the book of Exodus. You're gonna, it's going to be a sign on your hand, your right hand, which is, which is what you do, and then in your head, the way you think. I am submitting what I do with my hands and what I think, I'm aligning it to God. And we see this reiterated over and over again in Scripture for those who are serving Him. And it's the same of the counterfeit. It's the same of the spirit of Antichrist. We can be confident that this is a symbol for allegiance, protection, and provider. So are we going to align with the beast for our protection, our provision? Are we going to align with the system of Babylon? Or are we going to align with Jesus Christ? So what about the number 666 then? What's going to happen if I spend money and $6.60 comes up? Oh no! What if I'm the 666 customer of the day? Oh no! What do I do? First of all, don't be scared of that number, and don't be scared of monster energy drinks because the claw marks look like the Hebrew three sixes. Be scared of monster drinks because of what they're made of. Don't freak out because the Mayan calendar ran out December 21st, 2012. Guess what? I talked to Mayan people when I was actually on vacation in, uh, in Mexico, and the Mayan people said when I went and visited Chichen Itza, they said that the reason that the Mayan calendar ran out is because that's when that calendar ends. Not because the Mayans thought it was going to be the end of the world. They said, do you know how many Mayans got interviewed by the press? None. They said, we weren't freaking out at all on December 21st, 2012. But the rest of the world was. Why? Because we buy into this fear pandering. We buy into this numerology and we get scared. Don't freak out because of that. Don't get freaked out because some prominent person who has a television camera and a large audience, says Jesus is coming back on this day at this time. The Bible says no man knows the hour. No man knows the day. We don't know when he is coming back. It's not our job to know. It's our job to be ready and to tell others about him. Listen, here's my problem with these types of things. These types of things are 100% distractions of the enemy. And honestly, when we run with these ideas on Facebook, when we run with these ideas in uh, email threads and, and in groups of people that we associate with, it dilutes our credibility and it hurts our sharing of the gospel because we are seen as gullible and ignorant by a watching world. Listen to me. The number 666 is the number of man. That's what it is. It's the number of man, and it is in contrast to the number of whole, complete perfection, which is seven. If you use the gematria, which is the uh, Jewish numeric system where numbers actually equate into letters, the ancient code, the numerical system, guess what 666 adds up to and spells out? It spells the word beast, and it spells the name Nero Caesar in Hebrew, which is what the original hearers, the original recipients would have understood. They would not have been freaking out about the number. They would not have been, they were, it's all about allegiance to Nero Caesar. It's all about allegiance to a system. It's all about allegiance to putting my hope for my protection, my provision, my peace, all in a source that is very much counter to Christ. It is anti 
Christ. It is a system. It has happened. It is happening, and it will happen again. Let him who has ears, let him hear what God actually says. Let him be quick to hear and slow to speak. Scripture tells us that's a mark of wisdom, that we should be quick to hear, that we should be slow to speak. So I think in our modern context, I would maybe add this to it. Be quick to read and discern and slow to share and like and comment. Be quick to listen to what God says and be slow to try to give a counter view to someone that you want to argue with. Be quick to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and listen to what the Spirit is actually saying and what the Word has already said and what God is trying to communicate to us through His Word. And be slow to go out and tell everybody everything that you think you know and you think you figured out. Be quick to listen. And I think that it's going to help the church's credibility. I think that it makes us look gullible. It makes us look ignorant. When we go around attaching Bible verses and there's some person who was maybe thinking about Christianity, considering Christianity, and then they see us running with all these things wild and rampant, and then next thing you know, they're going, oh, those people are crazy. Or, oh, I... And we take that as a badge of honor sometimes when, is that really what we're supposed to do? Is that how the Scripture tells us to act like fools who are running and with every new idea, with new thought, oh, it's the microchip, it's the microchip, oh, it's a scanner, oh, it's RFID chip, just like generations before. Oh, oh no, it's, it, it's, it's the social security numbers. Oh no, it's, the, it's all part of the system. It's all part of the system. So we need to have our focus and our allegiance being on the lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ. Not on fear pandered by poor interpretation of scripture or poorly made movies. When we focus on the scripture, it helps keep us anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't get excited, nervous, or anxious about the current world status. We're never told to be anxious about the status of the world. We're never told to be anxious about the status of the dollar. If I put my trust in that, if I put my hope in that, I'm trusting in the wrong source. Remember, there is a blessing attached to the hearing and keeping of the words in the book of Revelation. God was not using John to pander fear and conspiracy theories then, and he isn't using John to pander and spread conspiracy theories now. Don't run and share every so-called prophet's word or every prophetic message that panders fear. Recognize, be astute, be wise. Be aware of the times, be aware of what's going on. Count the cost, be aware of your role in this as an ambassador of Christ. Yes, don't, don't, don't be ignorant, but don't be gullible. There is a system of bad things that have happened, and you can look back. We have, the, we have the, the vantage point to look in the rearview mirror of history and go, oh, this has happened. Oh, it's just now coming to my doorstep in my lifetime. It is happening. And the, the solace I take is not that I, whether or not I get to be a part of the rapture, the solace I take is not whether or not I experience the tribulation, the solace I take is that no matter whether I live or die, whether I live in a feast or famine, that I am secure in Christ alone and that my hope for my salvation, my provision, my protection, it rests in Him. And if I experience some calamity on this earth, then may it be for the glory of God. If I experience some turmoil, if I experience a part of the pattern, whether in life or death, may I be living and breathing every breath as a gift and for the glory of God and in light of eternity and not afraid, but with a sense of urgency, understanding that this is coming to an end. It's coming to a close. Am I aligned with the spirit of Antichrist? Am I following Him or am I aligned with Christ? That's what we're faced with. Where am I trusting for my hope, my shelter, my security, my peace? If my eternity is, is 
wrapped up in Christ alone, I can have the peace with God and I can have peace that comes from God to help me navigate the days I live in. Doesn't mean I won't have spikes of fear. Doesn't mean I won't have moments of doubt and seasons of challenge. It doesn't mean any of that. Doesn't mean you're exempt because you're a Christian. It just means that where you run to, where your heart gets diverted, where your hope gets diverted, you, you, you go to him, you run to him, you cling to him because you know he has what you need. It's like the woman with the issue of blood. She clung to his garment. She grabbed a hold of his garment. Maybe I can just get a hold of his garment. She didn't know. Jesus didn't have magic clothes that healed people. All she knew is that he was the only one that could do for her what she needed done. And she grabbed a hold of him. May we, like that woman, grab a hold of Christ because we know that he's the only one who can do what we cannot do, what no one else could do. Scripture says no doctor could heal her. No one could solve her problem. No one can solve your problem. No one can solve my problem. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. And I want to grab tightly, cling to him. I want to rest in him and not run to the dollar or run to the president or run to the military or run to uh, uh, the, the country and, and try to grab on for my hope or run to my job or, or run to my friends. No, I want to run to Christ alone. I want to rest and know he is enough. So maybe today is the day where you realize you've been trusted in the wrong system. You've been aligned improperly. You've been anxious. You've been afraid. And the reason you've been anxious is because you're trying to control what's going on in your world. You're trying to control the outcomes. And you can't, my friend, I'm telling you. All you can do is put your hope and your trust in Jesus. And I pray that today you do that, that you reach out to him, that you confess with your heart that you believe, that you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, that you cry out to him, that you reach out to him, that your eyes are open, that God leads you to a place of where you recognize your need for him and you begin to run to him. Today may be the day of your salvation. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Don't be embarrassed if that's you. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and you're just now realizing, oh man, I've been just an attendee, I've been a member, I've been doing good, but I've been putting my hope in the wrong place. I need to put it in Jesus. Reach out to him, cry out to him. Don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed of that. Don't let the enemy's lies and tactics keep you away from receiving Christ today. Lord, help us to put our hope and our trust in you. Help us to rest. Help us to trust in your goodness. Help us to be wise and discerning. Help us to trust like never before in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us not give in to gullibility and hope for some sort of sense of security in worldly things or in a Babylonian system that just repeats throughout history. But Lord, let us not trust in the counterfeit, but in the real deal. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And may your peace wash over us. In Jesus' name, amen.